Mana 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 this is social discasting. Welcome to Social Discasting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I am Brandon, aka Brandon. Hope you're well. My guest is a comedian, writer, and filmmaker, as well as host of the great show, The Carson Podcast, where he talks with guests, which have included Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, Dick Cavett, and Charles Grodin, amongst many others, about legendary talk show host Johnny Carson, as well as just recently appearing on the great CNN docuseries, The Story of Late Night, and producing the companion podcast, Behind the Desk, The Story of Late Night. Please welcome Mark Malkoff. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Brandon. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time. Again, I really do appreciate it. Of course. The uh, deeply unfair question ever loaded <laughs> as ever, probably. But uh, how are you? I'm doing okay. Yeah, here in New York City. You know, s- slowly it start, it's beginning to feel, I, I, I don't know, normal is not it because it's definitely not. But just the fact that the other day Madison Square Garden sold out with the Foo Fighters and it was they they weren't at limited capacity they could do whatever they want so it was full just little things like that the progression definitely it's definitely helping me knowing that things are going to are going to be I don't know normal's the word but that I can yeah. get on the train and maybe not be wearing a face mask and worried about the person three uh seats down for me that isn't but um maybe I should still worry I don't know yeah I, I know what you mean like um well, first of all, real fast, I'm curious, is it maybe that, you know, I know normal is such a, again, such a loaded word and like what, and such a cryptic word almost, like what does that even mean mm-hmm. at this point in this, it's not even post-pandemic, I guess, it's more remaining inter-pandemic world, but is it that you're, as things are opening back up, you're getting a better idea of what the new normal is, I guess, defining that? I just that? think that, yeah, slowly what people are, are doing and the restrictions and stuff, I... What this tomorrow? No, not tomorrow. I'm in two days. For the first time, I'm gonna be going to a restaurant. I haven't done that since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, meeting a friend. So it's just little things. Like I think I'm like maybe behind a lot of people. Um, in terms of uh, my what I was comfortable with and stuff. But um, yeah, because I mean there were people, and I know them and their friends that were dining through during the entire thing. Um, here in the city and stuff yeah. and. That it's everybody's different. Um, I definitely have been uh, <laughs> probably a little bit more closed off than than some of my friends here. But uh, um, there's advantages too. I think sometimes, like with the pandemic, you hear about good things that have come out and like creative things um, that have come out, like Bo Burnham with Inside. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, it's just tis what it is. And um, we were actually I was with Bill Carter. Uh, we were in Los Angeles when the whole pandemic thing um, first became a, a real thing, and yeah. we cut our time early. I mean, I I didn't know that Bill was gonna was gonna fly out the same day I was, but we're both like separately, like we need to get out of here. Um, so yeah, we we got out and never did any of the others in person, the interviews, because we interviewed a lot of people and we did everything else. Um, just over um, computers, which was great. It was great. But um, yeah, we thought we were, we were going to be sitting down um, with everybody, and that did not happen, <laughs> which is fine. That was for the story of Late Night, right? The CNN docuseries? That was, yeah, that was for the behind the desk, the, 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 okay. um, yeah, the, the podcast, and then, which was great. I mean, because we talked about, we, we got to talk about almost every show. I mean, we talked to, 
you know, people that were there for Latterman, people for Carson, um, that like Jimmy Brogan, who did Carson a lot, and then people like Jimmy Kimmel, which was which was amazing. And like, I have so many questions for everybody, but it was cool. Like a lot of the episodes um, for the podcast, the CNN podcast were um, Bill by, near the end would say, Mark, what are your questions? And then I would just go to I, I just rattle them off. But a lot of my <laughs> my, my questions got in um you don't hear me they cut that out but the answers and stuff and it was just really insightful thing um especially for me that knows way too much about late night like to a ridiculous degree to be able to learn some stuff was really really cool and to be able to contribute my knowledge as well because even though bill is mr late night and, and stuff i still uh there are things i know that he doesn't and vice versa so it was sure. it was good it was yeah i'm happy i'm glad we're glad it, we're glad it turned out when people like it what started your fascination with late night i think it was when i was five or six watching carson something like that yeah my dad would let me stay up on a friday and uh you know he got me in i think i must have been four or five when i was watching like it's a mad 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 world stanley kramer's film and it's like everybody from show business um comedy is in this thing so i'm like five years old four years old and i know who for example i know who and it took me a while to remember that i did know that jonathan winters but it was definitely jonathan winters and i knew who like spencer tracy was from the time i was four and you know, you have Phil Silvers and uh, Milton Berle. So I kind of, I mean, I ha- I have a kind of a memory where I remember, I-, I-, I remember more than most people, I would say. And um, so I had this vocabulary in my head of show business. And then, and then once I saw Carson and some of these people I even recognized um, going on with him and it was like this party and it was fun and Carson would have animals and, and kids. We was really good with like senior citizens, people like kind of that never been probably uh, on a TV show or never been out of their home state. And there was just something about that show that I just I couldn't get enough of it. And I couldn't um, I, I had to have answers to my questions. Like it was always like to me, it's like, OK, my dad told me, for example, like the, the guests and. Um, would decide ahead of time with somebody that worked on the show what they would talk about, and it just blew my mind. I'm like, who has a job like that? Um, who's yeah, yeah. who's opening up the curtain for Johnny? All these things, like what goes on in the commercials, and my mind, that's how I, I, I work, and I just get really, really curious, which is one of the reasons I started the podcast. I had just so many questions um, about that, but that got me into it, and then I started going to Late Night with David Letterman at NBC, when I was 16 years old, and I saw five tapings of that, which to me is, oh my goodness, talking about influencing comedy in the next last 20, 30 years, nothing more than 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 Letterman on that NBC show. I mean, I, it, to me, the show really holds up, and um, just to the, the fact that I was there in, um, in 6A in this really you know it's not a big studio it's really i would call say a, a tiny studio it was like less than 200 people um mm-hmm. when we were there and get to see get to see dave and have him come up for the warm-up and literally be standing right in front of me he'd come out to the audience um was like just such a thrill um and that to me that show i know that sometimes um talk to younger people that only watch the cbs version and um they will then I say watch the NBC clips and it's like it's almost 
unrecognizable from what they were doing at NBC versus CBS, which in the beginning, yes, there was a lot of um, the same comedy, but then it became more Letterman. uh, It was known for his interviews and having in-depth things and things like that. But uh, back then it was just the comedy. Yeah. I mean, to, 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 to be in the audience for that. And then I was in the audiences for the early Conan shows. I was actually um, got an invite to go to Conan's first test show, which never had. They did four test shows. Um, it was the Tuesday to the Friday leading up to the Monday, and I couldn't go. But then I was there. Um, it premiered in September 13th, 93, and then I was there in November, early November. And I went to that show like 20 times. I, I, I got to know somebody over there. Um, well, I mean, we would talk on the phone and stuff, and um, yeah, he would get me. And even though Conan's first year, most, of, not only say most of the time, but there were, there was definitely a fair amount where they couldn't fill the studio. I mean, it was 190 seats, something like that. And he was so unpopular the first year and on the brink yeah. of cancellation. And I mean, I, I loved it for the writing. Like to me, it was always, um, like Andy and Conan were finding their footing. Clearly that took them a while. Um, I would say over a year, but, um, but I would say, and Conan has said this too, by the time the summer rolled around and they didn't get canceled because they for sure, I mean, they offered everyone else the job who didn't want it. Um, so they, they, they were able to stay. It was it was that summer that a lot of college students um, started going to the show and there's this different energy because I was, um, I actually took some of my friends. We weren't in college yet, but we were almost in college and uh, it was definitely more younger people and that. Conan just there was the different energy and it just showed I mean when Conan would come out for his warm-up he he sang I don't know if you knew that on the NBC show he would come out and sing um, I didn't realize that, yeah no. he, he came out um the first couple seasons I mean I think more than that he came out and sing um Elvis Presley's hunk of burning love and he would sing it to a random uh woman that that, that was um there seated and he would um have her stand up and he would he would do that and then he would just uh, cut the song and he was really into it which was the funniest thing and then um he would cut the song and just talk about how how dumb that was and stuff and um just just do a few a few jokes and stuff here here and there but it was tough in the beginning because nobody oh my goodness Joel Goddard was doing the warm up no one knew who he was and it was just really uh, so, like tough. he had no juice, right? He had no, yeah. he had no name recognition, no backstory, nothing. Yeah, where, like at least with Leno, people grew up, you know, to some degree, watching him as a guest on all these shows. NBC know. pages were trying to thrust tickets to pe- people, tourist hands outside of Rockefeller Center, and people just did not want to go. I mean, it was, it was, it was. One of those things where Mike Sweeney, who was the head writer for um, yeah. a long time on Conan, he took over the warm up from Joel Goddard. That helped a lot. And by the time um, they changed the warm up, where Conan would still sing "Hunka Hunka Burn in Love," but he'd pull the woman actually into the aisle, um, and he was making it more of like a like um, just more of like a uh, high energy um, thing, like kind of like getting on his knees, singing to her in the aisle, more of a spectacle, and then slowly but surely i don't know how, it was a year or two in that, that that conan then would get the band to come dance with him in the aisle and they would like run as fast as they could <laughs> to the aisle and they all dance and all these high energy things and um i think that that summer was the thing that really um gave them some hope and um they were getting stronger as performers but i mean 
the writing was there. The, the voice of the writing was there from day one. I mean, I can talk about that first show. I can talk about that first year with the pieces that they were doing. That was there. It was just Conan's point of view, and they just had to. Sadly for me, because I loved the, I was there for the writing for the most part, and then like a lot of America, I fell in love with Conan um, as a performer. But um, they just had to cut the writing down and a lot for Conan to be able to get his personality out, and it became. Um, as good television is organic, like The Simpsons or whatever, it starts as one thing and slowly becomes something else. Um, well, yeah, I think to your point there, like he had to he had to learn how to be a quote unquote host, right? Because he was always considered on a talkative, like day to day level, like the funniest guy in the room, yeah. always conversationally hilarious, which is also funny. Because they were so hesitant, at least initially, to do the field pieces, which is what, for me, it's like, he really shines. And you can hear that on his podcast now, when he's in conversation with people very naturally. He's so funny. I, I think so. Like, Robert Smigel, who was on, who I've known since, oh, goodness, I think I was 17 years old, something like that. Um, Smigel um, was saying that with the podcast and the specials that he's the closest Conan um, he is Conan, the Conan that he would hang out with and stuff and be yeah. behind the scenes and is the best vehicles um, for Conan. But yeah, I mean, there were even people, Smigel was telling me on staff, that that didn't have confidence in Conan for the first whatever year. I mean, he was clearly finding his voice and having trouble as an interviewer and getting the laughs and having to go out there every single night. <laughs> it, it's one of those things where it's just the ship doesn't stop and you know some people and um do shows once a week which is amazing um but just having to do the five nights a week which he was doing or whatever four i think oh, they, they then that was four and then he started using those mondays to do pre-tapes and stuff um it's just it's a grind he felt it and uh i mean he's publicly talked about that he was depressed during that era and um i would see him around uh the lobby the, at 30 rock because um, you know, the people that go into the audience, it's pretty much just right there. You see everyone who's a guest, um, Conan. Yeah, he was very nice to me, but just um, he looked like he had just every time I'd see him just looked like he lost uh, a Super Bowl. Like he was the, the quarterback. Oh, world weary and drained. Yeah, well, he's he's in a particularly unique situation, one that I don't think very few, if any, have been in where. He was just, he, you know, not to, to minimize it, but just a writer, wasn't a performer, wasn't any of that. So he had to both learn how to perform for television and host on the job for everyone to see. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever done that like that. He says, that, you know, he, his whole comment was, yeah, I got the biggest break in, 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 in TV history. But at the same time, he, uh, he, um, he got pounded. I mean, really... Um, the the critics, the 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 public. Um, it's just so funny because like um, he's ending his run and is just has this huge following. And if he, you know, tomorrow, you know, he could he can go on another tour and fill these huge venues. But um, I think people forget. I, I, even people I knew that that did that hate, didn't like the show, and and now of the last whatever 50, 20 plus years are like diehard fans. Um, just forget that 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 very public struggle and bill carter was telling me and it might be in the late shift um perhaps not and he said it on the carson podcast i believe is that it got so bad early on that 
I think it was like radio DJs or something. Conan was on a call with all these th- uh, DJs. And then another article, it might have been a Shales article, came out that Conan was so depressed um, on um, at NBC in his office. He just he 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 went under his desk and just stayed there. Wow. He was so. I mean, it was it was definitely. It was definitely a lot, but it was exciting to go to this show and see the transformation and, and see that this was this was going to work. Because Smigel was like, you know, I mean, they were all heartbroken um, during the period where, I mean, Greg Kinnear at one point, not only did, did I guess Greg Kinnear said yes, but they were picking out the staff and they were going to do it in California. Oh, wow. And then um, before that, they tried to give it, they tried to give it to Rosie O'Donnell and they tried to give it to um, originally Dana Carvey and he didn't want it. Wasn't John Stewart one of them too? John Stewart auditioned, Drew Carey auditioned, Paul Provenza auditioned. I, I don't know who else. I'm not sure. I, 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 I've only met Lauren Michaels a few times. And he has always been very, very nice to me. And he told me that that he was that he didn't seriously consider anybody else that he saw based on the audition other than Conan. And it was just clear. And Rick Ludwin, who was the NBC vice president um, who passed away a year or two ago, um, told me it was just clear from that audition on the set of the Tonight Jay Leno's Tonight Show. Um, in in Burbank, where he he did um just this test um, audition with uh, Jason Alexander, and I think it was Mimi Rogers, maybe yeah yeah, we're we're, yeah, we're guests, and just based on that, and Conan is even said that he was better in that thing probably than anything his first couple months or whatever, because it's just he he was loose because it's just one of those things where it's like this is you're never gonna this is never gonna happen this is ne- it's not gonna happen so you're loose you're having fun i think and, it was like farcical to him like what well, i shouldn't be here yeah you know, like and so it's kind of a joke so uh, yeah i think to your point though about the mimi rogers thing where in that the the docuseries story of late night they mentioned the moment where he popped talking to mimi rogers about like like being a model isn't exactly like you know using a meat grinder or something it's not exactly difficult and they said in that moment that that was like kind of where his pers- yes. real personality came out, right? It, I think so. Like turning the crank, and then he made some yeah. New Yorker joke. But um, yeah, it was definitely one of those things where I, I think a lot of uh, the, the public, and I think a lot of people in turn, um, just expected it to be a big name, and they were just taking it back. And Conan says, and it's I think it's true for the most part that the public does not like something that's new. I mean, Conan said, I swear um, they do not, because um, I guess based on what they were doing, this new comedy and stuff, and people, Letterman was the hottest thing on TV and stuff. It just took people um, just a while. And being just like a a new person has its disadvantages because it gave him, it gave them like a year and a half as performers to find their voice, which I think it maybe took even longer, but to figure out the show versus Chevy Chase on Fox, who's this this huge star, only given 26 shows before they pulled the plug. And nobody that's done this job, that's, that's never done this job, is going to figure that thing out in the first year. I mean, Colbert was getting destroyed the first year he was on and people were were um you know like t- saying cbs made a, this dumb decision and um but but and then look what what, what he's been number one for for years now and it's one well, of those things where they 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 they, they need that time 
um, yes. to develop. But if you're too famous, like Chevy Chase, oh, man, they're not going to give it to you. But I, I, Bill Carter and I've talked about this. I really do believe if they would have let Chevy, um, they would have kept going. He he would figure out the shows got better. They were doing, by the, but um, they actually did some really funny comedy. But you know, Fox pulled the plug, and yeah. Well, a couple things on that. One, in speaking to the the dichotomy kind of of Chevy Chase versus a Conan O'Brien, and obviously what that name Conan O'Brien means now is dramatically different from what it meant that then, which was not a lot to people because people just didn't know him, but something could be said for limited expectations. And that gives you, to your point, like more lead time. And also he wasn't in any way the flagship show and that diminishes expectations and allows somebody who is very, very good at what he does now and obviously had a lot of raw ability then, but just had to cultivate that. And the Colbert situation especially is utterly unique. I would, I mean, I'm no expert by any stretch in the history of late night in that he had to undo the persona of Stephen Colbert on his late night show on Comedy Central to then be himself or some facsimile that's a not the same thing on late night, which is what a challenge. I can't imagine having to do that, to undo and then redo, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, that is tough. It's, you know, I had a day job at the Colbert Report. I was there for three years and eight months. And him off camera, I mean, I we knew we'd, we were friendly co-workers, you know? And yeah. he, that and the Q&A when he would come out and talk to the audience before the show was himself, he, I mean, he was just so funny just as himself. So to me, it made sense. But I, I again, what Conan was saying People don't want something new uh, a, a lot of the times. And I think that that was a good example of Stephen um, become you going out there as themselves. And I think it took people a long while to really um, to, to come around to now being in, in number one. Because Colbert is, to his credit, is so wildly talented, so brilliant. Oh, nobody knows. Smart, nobody and so, has such an idea. amazing actor. Which is why that, that show endured so long and so effectively on Comedy Central. Oh, gosh, but then that man. goes against you when you have to be yourself. I mean, he almost got on Saturday Night Live. Robert Smigel was really pushing him. But his impressions, I mean, he can do so much more than than I think people people re- re- really know. But yeah, to, to undo something and go out there and do something different was, um, yeah, it just, it, it took a while. Getting back to the Conan, I mean, he yeah. also did things that that went against him. I mean, him and Robert Smigels, um, um were very uh, much against doing the traditional monologue. So they would co- Conan. I don't know if you remember this or have seen it. Conan would come out and do. He would not do topical jokes. Um, they would pick a subject. Louis C.K. wrote a lot of them, and yeah. um, they never called it the monologue. They always called it. Uh, Probably until yeah, through TBS the the conalog, um, and eventually it became topical because they're like we have to do this, and then it it started to work. But um, yeah, definitely early on they were picking, they were making choices that to be innovative, which I love. I think you know try these things out, but it definitely was made it harder for them. Well, it's interesting you say that too about about how like um the traditional like basic paradigm structure of late night that just is what it is and people have to with in certain respects like pivot around that or just do that because that's just what is being grandfathered in that's just what people want that's what they expect and that's the reality with certain things but now conan to your point earlier is now tonight is his pen ultimate episode 
in which case when that runs out tomorrow, he's going to go away for a time and then develop his weekly variety talk show for HBO Max, which is fascinating to me about what that's going to be. And I think they're, they don't even necessarily know. But I guess my question is, do you think that his doing that speaks more to where he's at or more to where the, what the state of late night is? I think both, and that's very perceptive. I mean, they're so ubiquitous now with these shows. Yeah. I mean, back I mean, back when Conan started, there was Letterman on CBS. There was The Tonight Show uh, with Leno and him. I mean, his only competition for a long time was Tom Snyder, um, and they were different audiences. Um, I think... And then just with them just becoming, and that's one thing Johnny Carson saw, that people were getting all these talk shows and stuff, and he, um, that didn't end up working, um, like the Chevy Chase, and and, and one of the reasons he bowed out. But um, I think that that, it's just, you know, it is one of those things where he's done it, and people are kind of shying away from late night, I think, um, if you look at the numbers every year, and um, I think with HBO, he's going to have... You know what? I, maybe he like I don't know in terms of of the number of people that watch that versus TBS, but I think that um, I think more people are going to watch what he's doing now than than TBS. I mean, people online he, they get a lot of clicks, but I'm talking about people that were actually watching it yeah. um, when it was aired versus what they're going to do now. And there's just this, and I'm not taking anything away from from uh, TBS, but there's this prestige with HBO, HBO Max, the Conan is gonna get, is gonna be there he'll be given I'm guessing financial um not financial be given cre- creative control of the show and work much less I mean I I, I I I can't see him doing a show every day like Monday through Friday I could be off on that I would think like to be able to roll in like Chris Rock did on HBO and his show is great to be able to do the once a week or like John Oliver does um it's just like it's uh, yeah. I mean, uh, doing doing those shows every single night being a grind. Um, there's no way, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast. Gary Shandling was the one that actually said doing one of those shows and being on TV every day, every night changes you, um, and not for the best. Um, anybody that has struggles, um, with any sort of depression or anything that goes on that hosts one of those things. Um, it just it's taking something if you have something like a depression which I've gone through um, sure. and um, it just blows the thing up I mean there yeah there's just no way that that's good for for anybody's mental health is m- my point there um yeah it's definitely um, taken toll on, on certain people and 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 yeah not for the best yeah. I think also to your point I imagine considering the the timing of all this that a situation like COVID can really give you context and perspective in your life. And perhaps, you know, he realized, I think both maybe realizing, hey, taking a slight step back can still, you know, scratch that performer itch and still do your show in some form of it without it being part of that meat grinder four or five days a week like that. And also, mm-hmm. you know, the the slice of pie is a lot smaller with how many late night shows there are. There are so many and it's probably hard to really differentiate yourself and doing mm-hmm. what is quote unquote the traditional version of that. Maybe as an answer to that, there's a need for that, you know? Yeah. And and, and it makes sense. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, definitely. 
with so many shows. I mean, there was definitely some foreshadowing because, you know, Conan, when he started at Warner Brothers, it, um, it just, they put a lot into it. And then when they started cutting music and they put it down to like a half hour, you knew something was was slowly coming. But it was one of those things where TBS they really wanted to establish establish themselves. Yeah. With in late night, so I mean, I don't. I mean, Warner Brothers being at Warner Brothers is expensive in a soundstage, and doing his show for the same network money and stuff. I mean, it's just it's a lot of, a lot of money. And um, I don't know the financials of the, the TBS thing, but based on the ratings, I don't know how they were monetizing their money back. Somebody actually told me it didn't matter what their ratings were and that the, it was basically just the, the stuff online. The, the, that was the thing, the views and that advertising on there that really counted. But as Bill Carter said, once he went to TBS, like, um, I mean, it's just... TBS is, was not established. People don't think of that as a late night. I mean, if you're not on network, it's going to really be hard to get people Absolutely. to a new place. I mean, he had the opportunity to go to Fox at one point, which would have been, I mean, to be able to to, to, for, to convince the station owners to to um to 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 pick every to pick that up in all the markets. It would, it would have been, a, I think, it would have gotten done. But it would have been very hard. They're they're extremely reluctant, and I think Conan smartly just you know this NBC thing, thing worked so well and going to another network. Even Bill Carter says he should have. It was risky. Nobody has ever succeeded. Um, I mean, on one of those shows for Fox. Uh, I mean, because Arsenio Hall wasn't Fox. I mean, they have no. Um, the only late night show that I'm aware of that they did was just the Joan Rivers show, and then they gave it to Arsenio for a, a little bit. But the Arsenio Hall show was syndicated um, yeah. with Paramount. They they should have kept him, but they didn't. So um, Fox just did not have this history or established stage. Well, even CBS didn't have it before Letterman, and that was a coup. Yeah, you know, at the time to get that. But now we know that it's knowing what we know now. It's an institution. It's a thing yeah. that people are inheriting, right? But even then, that was CBS, though, and CBS is the number one network. Yeah, and he had 11 and a half years on his late-night show to develop sure. this following. And, um, I mean, by the time he got, he did his first show, I was in the audience. I was in the second row. I mean, wow. he... I mean, you're watching somebody who's fully formed um, have a new show. I mean, he... I mean, most of the shows, as we talk about, they take so long to establish. And, like, Leno's first year was so rocky. I mean, it's it was, ugh. And, um, yeah. and then, but for Letterman just to be able to walk out there fully, um, yeah, just fully created and do those pieces. And, you know, they spent, um, they did, they had 20 remote pieces um, ready by the time they debuted. And that was, they only had, like, two months. It was, like, something like that. But they... They just did a. They did. They they definitely played to Dave's strengths, and um. I mean, he was the biggest. I don't think CBS or Letterman maybe knew that was going to happen, but it was the the lead up to that was huge. I mean, the media that was outside when I came out was. I mean, it was just oh good. You, it was just yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And then the tickets were like the hot. It was like getting Hamilton tickets for like the first <laughs> year or two. I mean, it was really hard to get tickets, and it was like if you got them. It was like this huge deal, enormous deal, and um, yeah, CBS was very smart how 
how how they did that uh, for for sure. Speaking of Leno too, this is a thing I was thinking about yesterday about how you know there was Carson and Carson had a seemingly like definite like kinship or kindred spiritness with Letterman. He wanted him Letterman to succeed him. Then that same thing with Letterman having that seemingly kinship with Conan, or maybe you know outside of like the the influence of Letterman on Conan and that reciprocal kind of influence and and similarity to it. But then also, I think he was also used to drama involving Jay Leno and that being a part of kinship with them too. You know, the commonality though is that Leno is the one not being chosen of these friendships, I guess. Is there like a villainous element to Leno or is it part of it just circumstance? He's always been nice to me. Uh, I've only yeah. met him once or twice and he, he told me on the phone that he would do the podcast and let me let his assistant know when I was in town and then totally ghosted me because I, I'm yeah. sure he started listening and knows that I, I mean, I, Rick Ludwin was like, he, he probably knows that you know too much and that I would bring up Helen, his manager, Helen Kushnick and, and him uh, politicking with all the affiliates and stuff. I don't know enough other than his staff loved him. He knew the interns names and he was completely approachable where Dave Letterman was not approachable. I mean, I had a day job there on the eighth floor and um, just to talk to people that were there. Yeah, he just it just it, 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 Dave's a shy guy. It just um, it was just very, very different than than Jay and his stand up friends. They all love him. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think when Jay Leno um, is interviewed, which and the thing comes up, he's like, what was I supposed to do? They offered me the job. Um, I, you know, they just gave it to me. And I'm like, mm, there's a lot more to it than they just gave it <laughs> yeah. to you. I mean, your um, manager planted a fake story in the New York Post that Johnny, that NBC wanted Johnny out. Um, you had this thing where you were politicking with all the affiliates. Um, it, I mean, he, he it wasn't... It wasn't a actual closet. I know people think that he hid in a closet, but it, it was, was like a, a, it was a small book, it was like a, office, right? Yeah, it was re. It was a very small office. Like people weren't hanging their jackets or anything yeah. in, in there. But but for Leno to go to that length, I mean, I I said this before. I'm like, I would not want to compete against that guy. He seems um like he has an element where he could be very shrewd, and this is my my perception of him. That I think it also, I've, my perception has always been that he he feels like he uh, is, tries to control the narrative. You know, like some of the, to your point, like he oversimplifies things of, I just wanted the show, they offered me the show and I took the show. As if there wasn't active campaigning behind he, the scenes. He, he will not put himself in a situation, and I, I do understand talking to me or even um, the, the CNN thing with Bill Carter. I mean, Leno agreed to do it. For the CNN, um, the actual uh, docu-series, and then canceled like an hour before or something. And he just oh. will not put himself in a situation where, well, first of all, he doesn't want to talk about the Conan stuff. And just doesn't, just like, yeah, the whole Helen stuff and all of that stuff that went into it. And um, it's great for him. If, yeah, no, he will go on Dak Shepard's podcast and, and he'll just say, you know, I, I was the permanent guest host for... Um, all all these years, what was I supposed to do? They 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 just gave me the show, but there is a lot more, a lot more to it, especially yeah. with, with Letterman. You know, putting Jay on when Carson wouldn't have Letterman on for or wouldn't have Jay on for six and a half years based on a stand up performance in '79 that did not go well, and um, so he wasn't allowed to do Carson's show. So 
Dave gives him this format, like 40 um, some appearances over uh, on late night and just is red hot. And Letterman, I don't know if people know this or not. I, I think we've mentioned this on the podcast. I mean, Letterman personally reached out. If it wasn't Carson, it was Peter LaSalle. He said, can you do me a huge favor and, and book Jay? And, um, you know, he was red hot on this show, on, on the 1230 show, so they put him on. But that was all Dave Letterman. I mean, Letterman, I mean, that, without Dave, um, there was the, Leno never would have even come close to getting the permanent, uh, get, doing the permanent gig or getting the Tonight Show. I mean, Dave, Dave basically, and he wasn't aware at the time, get, handed Leno the, the, the uh, Tonight Show. Well, it's interesting, too, that, that as much as like um, Jake gives off, like he has this persona of like every man, just a car guy. I wear denim, and I'm just like I'm like you. But at the same time, you know, you read stories about how he has ears everywhere. When somebody badmouths him, he hears about. Well, it. I can tell you some stories about that. Um, it never happened to me, but I, I do have to say, when he's in public, every autograph he'll sign, every photo, sure. very accessible, very nice to anybody that comes up to him but yeah a consummate a consummate pro by so many people's standards yeah and i mean he did a lot of stuff for his staff but um i never really figured out how did this happen but i think i figured it out which is um jay would um as you mentioned would call people who did did you talk to somebody who um that somebody said something about leno and they called leno called them up is that how you know about that no i've i've heard that on different like podcasts or yeah just reddit interviews that it's it's almost at least in like maybe la it's kind of notorious that if you say something bad about him you'll probably get a phone call there was um uh there's a guy and i don't know if he said this publicly but he was a writer at the daily show and a stand-up and um he was going on letterman and he did an interview. It was his very first interview he ever did. So he was excited with TV Guide. And he said he would rather do one Dave appearance than like 10 lineups. And it got in. And um, the TV show he was working, the Daily Show, was like, oh, yeah, but Jay Leno's on the phone. He's like, yeah, right. And gets on the yeah. phone. He's like, yeah, Jay Leno. And he just hangs it up and um, calls Leno, calls back. And it, it, it is him. And he is... Uh, his it basically is like why would you say something bad about another comedian we're both comics and um even if you think it's true why would you do that and it was a show day so like usually on the show day the guests want to be as uh, the host want to be as focused as possible but for him to do that on a show day yeah so um then and, and, and they talked and the person i knew said told him I had never done an interview before, and I told the journalist I didn't want to get it. In. I didn't want to put that in, and they assured me it wouldn't. And he told me it was like a half hour with just Leno, basically him listening and Leno just talking like that. So, um, wow. yeah, like Andy Richter, um, that's public, right? I mean, he did this really small interview with Arkansas or something, and. Um, that he was basically saying Leno was just asked if he would take the Tonight Show and he I forget what Leno said but something like I'd consider it or maybe who like but but Richter in the inter, in this interview with a small place was like no that is not the answer Jay it's um this is Conan's show and um Leno and it is how is he finding these obscure things yeah um, exactly I want to know then I'm curious he, about the network of people yeah, he called um. 
he called Rick a lot when he was upset and then had asked, told Andy, you, you said you have to call Jay. And they had a conversation and Andy was like, to Jay was like, this is, I, this is how I feel 100%. And Jay's whole thing was like, yeah, but come to the person, like go to the person and have the conversation instead of, 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 um, publicly saying that. So that is how Jay, uh, operates. Yeah. And, um, I, yeah, I mean, his goal, his main goal, 100% was to be number one. And he did it. Like that was his goal. Um, yeah, he he accomplished that. Where um, some of the other shows was, I think, more about definitely you need the viewers, but more about the comedy and more about the work. And um, yeah, I mean, I, no one can take that away from Jay that he was number one from all those years. No, it's a hell of an accomplishment. Even just to get a late night show, let alone you know the late night show, and to be that successful. And and I think to your point that like. You know, if you have that tunnel vision to be number one, then you have others out there that are playing, maybe playing with form more or trying things like Conan. Really, though, I think even, you know, he said in that, that docuseries that the Venn diagram of his show and his comedy is intelligence and silliness. And then it's somewhere in that middle, which fair enough. He's done that very well. And, and for me, you know, as somebody who I, when he started his show, I was probably like 11, 12. So that, you know, I don't know whether it's that that show fit my sensibility or it informed it, but that really did it for me as opposed to just a more, you know, stringent show like a Tonight Show still tends to be. I think it was just what Carson with them, you had playing to middle America and doing that a traditional doing the 25 jokes that, that Jay did at the top and. Yeah. Um, and then he started modeling Jay, Johnny's show by doing characters like Johnny did. I, people forget this, that Jay was doing like this Iron Jay character and this other Brainiac type character. So he was doing that. And his set was exactly like Carson with the curtain at, at first. And then he he did something. I'm trying to think else that was very Carson. Oh, he extended the amount of comedy, which was to me, it was probably the number two reason that he became number one. He started extending the comedy for like that they would do maybe the first 25 minutes or, or even like a half hour of comedy where people will stay for the comedy, but not necessarily a guest. Yeah. Um, I was there in the studio at 8H in New York when he did his week in New York and they, they had this set that they took. They basically, it worked so well without the curtain and uh, they went back and they built that same studio, which which everybody knows with Jay with the thrust stage up like close to the audience and just everyone. And it was um, so he was he was definitely it was so patterned after Carson what he was doing. But I, th- during that New York week and then when they got that back, that is when the show fell um, into place in in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. I speaking of Carson too, I was curious about something. <clears throat> One of the people you've spoken to multiple times for your podcast is somebody that I have a deep respect and admiration for in Dick Cavett, who had his own late night show. And also, you know, speaking of kinships, it seemed like he and Carson had a real kinship. And what do you think the origin of that was, I guess, to some degree? Is it, I was wondering if it was like that Cavett straddled the line between Jack Parr and johnny carson you know having worked for both of them and being Mm -hmm. a guest or and or is it maybe that 
he had a lot more subject-based freedom. He could talk to different people. And it feels like he probably admired that because he couldn't dip his toes in those waters. Yeah, Carson would have loved to have been having the conversations that Cavett was. A lot, a lot of them just knew it wouldn't play um, on, on the Tonight Show. I think first and foremost, it was Nebraska. You know, I mean, uh, they were, yeah. I mean, Cavett met Carson when he was like 10 years old and Carson was um, doing the great Carsoni um, I think did he was he still in college or I don't know but um he was doing magic in the basement church basement and um that was the first time they met and I think it was, it was Nebraska and I think um Carson really appreciated his humor which was um like the late Jack Rollins who managed like Woody Allen and Dave Letterman told me that um you had to be really intelligent to get Cavett's humor and I think um his comedy stuff and I think Johnny appreciated that a lot, and I think when Cavett was going out and doing a show that was so different than Carson, I mean, Carson, you know, was so competitive and stuff, was definitely yeah. nervous, but I think that somebody was doing that that was so different, and uh, somebody that, that that came to him ahead of time, like him and David Brenner, uh, when he got a show, they did the right thing, which is they went to Johnny and they were like, I have this opportunity, and, st- and um, you know, Pat Sajak called Johnny um, in advance, Um as well and he was cool with them yeah i mean it was just it was one of those things um so i think the the way he went about it was good and then the nebraska thing and um yeah just i mean they were just getting a lot of different uh, the the guests that would never do carson show like uh, john lennon and yoko um sitting down with with johnny and talking about stuff that was uh, deep uh, maybe uh, but it was definitely be a departure um, well, from the Tonight Show his Tonight I was going to say that makes sense though too that he uh, by him talking about being able to talk about different things talk to different people that the more he did that the less it was similar to the Tonight Show and less he was in less competition as somebody as notoriously who had a long memory and was very competitive Carson also is hard because Marshall Brickman, who has an Oscar for Annie Hall, and um, he wrote the the book for Jersey Boys on Broadway, which, like, I mean, uh, hugely successful. He was the head writer, yeah. and he left. He was friends with Cavett. Didn't give Carson much notice, and he was the... Some people say he was the best head writer ever um, on The Tonight Show, and uh, he left to go to Cavett, and then didn't David Lloyd, one of his other prize writers, go to Cavett? So there were a bunch of people that went over there, and I think... I think that was really, really hard, but I think he knew that wasn't Cavett um, necessarily, and Carson was gracious, and then, you know, Cavett's show uh, got canceled and went back on the show, and they would talk about it, and um, yeah, definitely an an interesting uh, relationship there. And it makes sense. It's kind of a bummer, though, in a weird way, that, that we didn't get the full Carson that he could just, I think, not just as easily, but could absolutely do what Cavett was doing because he's such a an amazing interviewer so intuitive and brilliant that it would have been really interesting to see more of that side I guess I you know Cavett always said that Carson lacked confidence um his intelligence or maybe a little insecure so I don't know if he would have taken the gig but I, I for me watching so much Carson and him talking because he definitely would have these people on like people like head of the aclu or he had um that that um famous atheist um woman 
on yeah. um and he would definitely have people like that on sometimes not make a huge habit of it so he could do the heavy stuff and was really good with them and really curious um but yeah i guess to maybe to do that at the extent that cabot did i, I don't know but um it yeah you know it worked for for both of them i mean cabot told me that that um carson told a friend of his that i think it was swifty lazar that um that um the only carson said the only person that could touch me um with like any tort t- sort of a threat and that was was cabot um because they had wow. he had all, all these other people that were trying to compete with him as well and uh yeah it was never it was never never close that really that is saying something though both to be that person but also i guess for him to admit that goes that's a hell of an endorsement i, I was curious about do you with you know, I know with, with Carson Howe, he was predominantly pretty notably apolitical. Part of that, too, was just to, to be blank canvas, kind of be broad enough to appeal to everyone. And now, though, and maybe this is like maybe in a post-9-11 world to some extent, politics is something that pretty much everyone dives into in late night. Yeah, except to for, some, yeah. for Fallon, right? Yeah, that's I mean, the one guy that didn't take a stance, but you're pretty much everybody else. Um, well, Conan... I mean, I think it, it's definitely clear um, with Conan. Um, it could be on that he was not a Trump um, supporter or yeah. a fan. Um, but yeah, I mean, Carson in New York would have some politicians on Richard Nixon when he was um, running for president, senator, um, or a congressman, whatever Nixon, whatever Nixon was. Um, and he would have some people on, but he would never never share his politics. I mean, when Vietnam was going on and Carson would have somebody on, he he would talk about it, um, that he didn't like Vietnam. But in terms of the politicians, because I think people forget, I mean, he made fun of whatever was in president, who was the president or whoever, the vice president, like Dan Quayle. I mean, he just went, they, he went after them. But it was, yeah. it was nothing that be, could be construed as mean-spirited, maybe to the, the, the person, um, but no, he, he definitely went after whoever it was. You just couldn't tell the politics because people are always like Carson wasn't political. I'm like, watch his monologue. I mean, he that's fair. did. I mean, he would definitely do strong, strong, um, political jokes. It was just like, no one could tell what party. And I think that, yeah, that's, that's basically what's different. And Fallon tried to keep that going. And I mean, he still does not take a side and then hurt him. I mean, I, yeah, that was a real thing. It was really hurting his ratings quite a bit. And there were real conversations about that, about why isn't he doing that? And I'm not surprised, honestly, because I think he just wants to, to be an everyman and being as likable and have as high a Q rating as possible. But do you think that, that the, the people talking about, for the most part in late night, talking more about politics, what do you think the impetus for that was? Because part of me was wondering if something like The Daily Show gave people more thought or maybe normalized it more to allow them to do that i mean colbert's first year doing the cbs show he didn't take a side something like that i mean um i mean people give jimmy fallon a a hard time still for the donald trump interview but if you watch colbert's interview with trump i mean Stephen deeply regrets i mean it was he asked uh, maybe one tough question but it was definitely a softball interview and Stephen um forgives that but i mean just so he didn't take a side, and then he started to, and then his ratings, I mean, went through the roof, where it's just not to Fallon's strength and his being comfortable. I mean, I 
Yeah, I mean, he's never... I don't know if he's ever done anything on his show, like, making fun that really would upset somebody, whereas all the other hosts have gotten phone calls from, from people um, yeah. that were not happy or male and stuff. But um, I really do think that Fallon, with, with the tr- Trump stuff um, over that... I do think when they get back to the actual having audiences and stuff, I think Fallon's gonna, his ratings are going to rise. I really, really do uh, think that it's there. And I mean, I, I definitely have, think that there's some things that they could do on the show to get up the ratings as well. Um, but um, I think he's going to be more competitive. I really do when they get back with the, with the audiences in terms of the ratings. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what a lot of these shows are or if they've learned something or thought about things through a different prism having to do them remotely and kind of think outside the box relative to the normal box for late night and a part of me wonders if maybe that's why some percentage of why conan is going to hbo max because he really had to think about what his show is or what it could be considering all of the circumstances the last 15 months yeah it's definitely people to ponder i mean given a given time and um I mean, it's hard for people to realize, but I mean, he's Conan's been doing this since '93, and it, there is some point where, for some hosts, they were just like, "I did it, I'm done. This is yeah. just I want to try something new." It didn't happen much, but um, I mean, Conan kind of did that with the going to remotely to other countries and stuff, and um, has done some other pr- projects and stuff. So, yeah, he walking away, I give him a lot of credit. I mean, I. Would would think, and I could be off on it, that um, other places are giving him huge offers to come over. Um, I could be off on that, but because um, very few people have the skill set of a Conan O'Brien that could they can host one of those shows and be good at, at their at their job, and he's completely been fully formed for you know twenty years plus. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm yeah, looking forward to seeing what he's going to do on his HBO Max show. Absolutely. Yeah, I I find it very hard to believe that HBO Max was the only offer. I find no, that very I think it hard was to believe. The most presti- I think it was the prestige of being on that show, uh, on that network. Um, it, it's enormous. You had prestige and not having to have um, ratings come out, sure. um, I think, is also um, really um, a, a, a big thing. And... Um, I, de- I definitely think it made sense when I heard that he that he signed something to me it made it made perfect sense I agree I mean if any if you already dip your toes in the the cable waters HBO is the preeminent cable channel to go to so much history behind it so much name recognition it's HBO you know and also though seemingly they are I mean they are all in with seemingly unlimited resources for HBO Max. Yeah, it's it seems surging. That way. I don't it seems that way. Doesn't seem like the subscriptions are supporting that as of yet. Uh at least how much they've put into it relative to how many people are subscribing, but they're all in. And so I guess mm-hmm. that's something to be a part of. Yeah, I mean this things take a while for sure. people to to build up, but yeah, they are doing really a lot of innovative things and people create getting um really amazing talent. So yeah, we'll see what, what what happens. Yeah, I'm really just curious to see what they do with it. And uh, and like the, the Conan Without Borders, I thought that was really interesting, both to kind of quench his intellectual curiosity coupled with 
doing remote things. It was it felt like the perfect synthesis of what he 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 excels at a lot of stuff. But I guess maybe that fits more my sensibilities of what I'm looking. Oh, for. I think so. I mean. Smigel was against doing remotes for the. I mean, for the. He's like, we're never gonna do remotes because Letterman did them, and we can't have anything. Um, Letterman, and then when he started doing the remotes, is was. I think that that really opened the show to a different side of him. That was great. I think it took them a couple years to start doing remotes. Um, maybe two, maybe maybe three, but that those things were people started really, um, looking forward to. Absolutely. Like it's I think it was just the thing where you just saw him playing to his strength where it's more honed strengths of just being so conversationally funny and endearing and easy to talk to for a lot of people that it was just undeniable. I, I think early on and I could be off, I think one of the early remotes was actually Andy Richter going to Woodstock, um, that was taking place and, and, and he did this thing where he dove into the mud, everyone else. Yeah, so yeah, he was covered yeah. by mud at the end, and it was just, um, yeah. I mean, um, definitely, I, I give them credit. And Smigel, I mean, Smigel to, the, to, the, to the now is just like, yes, how smart am I that I didn't want to do remotes? <laughs> and he was just, I mean, so animate about like Lauren Michaels had a, a note where they wanted to open up the set. This was like the first year, and they wanted to have like a moon visible and kind of like a, another a window and let the set breathe and open up the set and Smigel was like if we have a window the people are going to think we're ripping off Letterman like to a degree where he was obsessed and of course that didn't happen um, at all but I mean yeah to do something different I give them a lot of credit and they uh, they definitely um, have had an amazing uh, amazing run truly like it's it's unbelievable and again I'm really excited to see what they do whenever they come back I don't know if that there's a an exact timeline for that. I mean, we say that. I say that. And it's, his run isn't even complete yet. It will be as of tomorrow night. But um, yeah, what all, do, before we wrap it up, what all do you want to point people toward before we wrap it up? I do a podcast called the Carson Podcast. That's You can go to carsonpodcast.com. It's all about late uh, Johnny Carson and late night. Um, my website, markmalkoff.com. Uh, I think, that, yeah, that's it. Twitter and Malkoff. Thank you again for doing this. This was so fun. Oh, Goodness, Brandon, I don't get to do these very often. And um, getting to talk about late night, especially this, which is um, something I mean, you're very knowledgeable about. So to have a conversation about that with somebody as knowledgeable as yourself was, was, um, was definitely fun. So, uh, yeah, good luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, um, yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening. Please take care. Stay safe. Get vaccinated. Stay safe. And take care. Thank you again. Bye.